Warning, the Catholic Man Show contains high levels of manliness. It's simple, really. You either want to grow in virtue and holiness, or you want to be a sissy whiny baby. If you choose to move forward, grab your whiskey glass, because the Catholic Man Show is starting right now. Welcome to the Catholic Man Show. We're on the Lord's team, the winning side. So raise your glass. This episode was a struggle to get going, but that's okay. <laughs> it's okay. We've had struggles before. We've over. We've persevered. We've overcome. You've jiggled the cable. We've jiggled the, <laughs> the USB cables. Turns out. Uh, I have held one hand up with the other hand down, and it looks like it's all working. Dave, it's good to have you here. Good to be... Are you talking to back. me? Yeah. yeah. Oh, good, thank good, you. Good to be in studio. We haven't been in studio for a little bit, so it's good to be here. Yeah. And we have I'm a... Happy to, thank you. Thank you, Adam. I just wanted to welcome you. It's, Adam, I'm glad... It's good to have you here. <laughs> this is my yeah. house. Yeah. But uh, here we are. Uh, and we have a, a special guest with us. Uh, what, what? I was going to say, man, I was going to have, I had a really cool, like, shoeless, oh man, I forgot what it was going to be, it was going to be really, it was going to be awesome. Oh man, it but, sure was. But, but Just it, think about how awesome it How awesome it's going to be. Yeah. A, a good intro for you, but it's good to have you here. Micer, Michael Gormley. Micer, Micer, I like that. Gomer. Yes. Good to have you here. Yeah, it's good to be here. Of the Every Knee Shall Bow podcast fame and uh, catching foxes mm-hmm. and Steubenville Conference extraordinaire mm-hmm. and uh, C list Catholic celebrity. Yep, yep. I'm up from a D lister to a C lister now. Nice. I got recognized nice. once. Uh, it was by a cop. It was unrelated to the podcast, but I evangelized him. <laughs> yeah, from the back of his car. It was nice. It was, <laughs> it was nice. a great conversation. Yeah, cost me <laughs> two, about two hundred fifty dollars, but it's fine. At the end, it was fine. Yeah, you know, that's really not bad. I know, I know. Considering the charges, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Drug traffic. Anywho, I don't want to talk. You know what? The Lord is here. He is he, good. He's, he's, he's kind good. of merciful. How are you guys doing? Uh, Fantastic. We're doing ah. great. Now that the uh, equipment's working a little bit better. So, but you were you, you came here for a uh, Lenten talk, Lenten mission. Yeah. So it's it's really weird when I do Lenten missions like this. So usually a mission is like three days for me, uh-huh. and then I feel guilty that I'm charging people money. So I tell them, "Hey, uh, can I do more stuff?" And then they pile on more stuff. And th- this, nope, not Christ the King Parish. They're like, "We want you to give one talk." So uh, earlier I was like, "Well." Can I do like a staff retreat? Can I do? Because I just feel guilty taking people's money. So I always charge people for the time, not the amount of talks. Because right. the gospel, it's the gospel. You're just paying for me for my time. Yeah. A usurious amount. But uh, we, go, <laughs> we go through. And so she was like, no, we're good. We're good. We don't need anything else. Uh, we just want one one hour talk to set us up for Lent and confessions and adoration. So it was a Eucharistic talk from a charismatic perspective. So okay. that's how I roll. Yeah, nice. When you said that to me earlier, yeah, I thought you said charismatic nope. perspective, and nope. I was down there going, "Man, <laughs> what does that mean exactly?" <laughs> charismatic. Number one, glad tambourines. Right. Number two, streamers. 
<laughs> Number three, an 80-year-old guy singing off-key, but you know what? The Lord is kind of But wrestling. he strums the guitar with passion. With passion. And, and as many felt banners as you could possibly and fit into one room. You know what? This is something people won't talk about. Okay, mm-hmm. it's one thing to have streamers, but I think you have to give due consideration to the length of your streamer. Obviously, a 12-foot is better than an 8-foot. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, especially I think, when you're going down the aisle. I think that goes without saying. Yeah, absolutely. So why did you say it? It's fine. It's fine. I, well, I still see so many eight foot streamers, and yeah. it's like guys, it's getting ridiculous. Yeah, come on, like just you're like what? Is, what is this? Uh, the Duquesne retreat? We've yeah. come so far. Like a twelve foot <laughs> streamer is literally like twelve dollars on Amazon. Okay, I'm telling you, prime it tomorrow. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I know. So what's going on in the uh, the Gomer household? The Gomer household. What isn't going on? No man, my uh, so any NASCAR races going on? Uh, as well? Yes, NASCAR started two Sundays ago. Okay, with the Daytona 500. Uh, but my mom fell into the ditch at my house and shattered her tibia, and so um, no one watched NASCAR that day. Uh, you tell her to walk it off. Yeah, <laughs> no, I did not. She was <laughs> she good. was too busy screaming, and I was too busy trying to get my kids who saw the whole thing to like calm down, but. Um, yeah, no, NASCAR is in force in the Gormley household, not yeah. because of me, uh, against my much, uh, it's actually, uh, do you guys watch NASCAR? No, I do not. Okay. Do you think it's like redneck, white trash, Miller light, whatever? I mean, yeah. it's, it's some so, of my people. Yeah. So my wife like loves it and she did it because she wanted to have a better relationship with her brother who was really into it. Then my wife got really into it and, uh, her found out her brother was like, yeah. Turns out I was just a Dale Earnhardt Jr. fan, not really a NASCAR fan. And she's like, what? So but, I've spent but, my half of my life. Yeah. But she knows everything. She knows everything. I and mean, she's talking to us. So I'm like, well, I don't understand what is happening. When you pit, what like why do only some people pit? Why do other people? Well, they're trying to do the and she I mean, she knows all she knows the point system for the pit crews. Did you know there's a point system for pit I, crews? I did not. She knows crew chief's names. She knows the whole like this is not a Oh, I like the red car because red's my favorite. No, this is an in-depth understanding of the sport. I know she does not like one guy, Joey Logano, so I make sure to root for him every time I walk in the room. He won <laughs> last year, so that made everyone sad. My kids are like, my daughter, my 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 10-year-old, or 11 now, but she was 10 at the time. She walks in, she goes, hey, uh, um, Truex isn't winning. What about Danny Hamlin? Oh, Danny Hamlin. I'm like, stop it. Stop naming drivers. <laughs> like, they know. They just see the number. They don't even need to see the car. Like, I thought they liked it because it's like, M&M's. Nope. They know driver, car. Oh, the Chevy guys are winning. Okay. <sighs> it's bad. It's That's bad. amazing. It's amazing. It's breathtaking in its depression. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, see, I, I don't know if I could get into NASCAR. Uh, I think maybe if there was a little bit more conflict or oh no there is just, conflict or just shorter i think if it was just didn't take so, so long. they have you know they have road tracks now not just the loop so one day my wife was watching i ran outside i go she was filling up the kiddie pool with water you know yeah. Yeah. and i run outside i go honey 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 you just missed it she goes what what happened and i said they made a left turn <laughs> and uh she just immediately just had this like shut up face and i was like honey I'm going to use that joke at least three more times before you come in. I just want you to be ready for it. I yeah. Just prepare your heart. Prepare your heart. Gird your, gird your loins. And uh, if you have any. And uh, it was very beautiful. It was a very bonding moment. But she, um, but now they have like road course. They, they truck in dirt and put dirt on the track. And so now the NASCAR this cars. This is still NASCAR. Yeah, still NASCAR. Go on dirt 
on like the oval course, but they make it weavy and all this. Yeah, they make right turns now is what I'm saying. That sounds dangerous. It is. And it is awesome. And they also release wild deer in the <laughs> middle of it. <laughs> it's beautiful. Uh, it really is. Any new internet obsessions? YouTube obsessions? I know oh, you were in man. like cleaning for a little while. Were you in cle- like... Yeah, I mean, I interviewed the lady from the cleaning videos that I was watching. That's when, that's when you're like, well, what do I do without Luke as a co-host for those, for those what, five months? Uh, yeah, no, it's it's really fun. All my kids, like, we all clean. We all we all clean according to our method. It's beautiful. Uh, clean my space, a YouTube channel. Uh, I have, what, what have I gotten into? Um, still do the woodworking thing. Yeah. I mean, not woodworking, but watching woodworking on YouTube. Like, oh, that's okay. the, it's a different thing. Uh, and then uh, I got into the manosphere on youtube which was dark and funny and awesome so yeah i've been doing that so i gave up youtube for lent which is why i don't really have uh, and i've been doing a ton of reading which is kind of shocking so it is tough to give up youtube because there's so many things there you know it's not one thing it's all the things so what are you reading uh so um my podcast with dave van vickle that i do every Mm -hmm. knee shall bow dave is um we switched to a seasonal approach to the show so that dave could have more time with his family and all the stuff while his wife was battling with cancer and stuff. So she sadly lost that battle um, uh, about a week and a half ago. So um, we were talking and I'm just going to do the show solo. Uh, but what I realized is that's terrible because he's a guy that we're friends. So that friendship right. kind of comes out in the, in the conversation. So my goal is, well, what if I so over prepared that every episode is like, a dive into the best parts of the best books on that without it being a book review kind of show. So I started with Frank Sheed um, and I went through to know Christ Jesus, the difference Jesus, uh, what difference does Jesus make? And then uh, I'm, I'm, so I'm just like tripling down on a lot of that stuff. So I have all of these evangelization books that I'm going through for intentional disciples, becoming a parish of intentional disciples, all these different things. Mm-hmm. So I have, I stayed up one night when my wife was leading a women's retreat, a mom's retreat. I was at home with the kids and I put them all to bed early on trumped up charges. And I just plowed through about four books. I went to bed at like three in the morning. I had a legal pad just filled with notes of like, uh-huh. and then I, then the next night I tried to record. Uh, I recorded 10 times for an hour each. And it was just crap. It was just terrible. And then I did a 15-minute, like, you know what? One more try. And I was like, okay, that's salvageable. That's salvageable. So, I, yeah, yeah it's, it's awful. It's awful <laughs> trying to do it by yourself. So, uh, And then the last I'm reading is Yosef Peeper's um, uh, For the Love of Wisdom uh, because I'm going to do a secret project oh. on teaching people how to philosophize. Ooh, yeah. Nice. With an actual real philosopher. So yeah. what's your favorite Peeper book? Oh, what is my, On Hope? On Hope. On Hope. Okay. Yeah, the 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 faith, hope, love are the best. I mean, like, good lord, the man's insights every step of the way are just incredible. But leisure basis of culture is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, his, his cardinal's virtue book is awesome. Yeah, I mean they're they're all they're all, they're yeah. all great. Um, you know, honestly, it might be his Saint Thomas Aquinas book and Scholasticism. If you've never, if you know, what is this thing called Thomism? Get the book Scholasticism. Read that, and then get his guide to Thomas Aquinas because those two as a one-two punch awesome they paint you the historical picture so that you can situate the philosophical stuff so sweet okay we're here with uh michael gormley from every niche go check out every niche show bow oh yeah good the music is working it's one thing we were trying to uh work on beforehand kind of forgot that it's gonna kick on 
All right. Good deal. <laughs> <laughs> How do we deal with this? That is very good. All right. Well, we'll be back on the this other side of the break. This is the Catholic Man Show. More than 60,000 men from around the world have journeyed through Exodus 90 together with their brothers. Priests, bishops, singled men, married men, Catholics, non-Catholics alike. One of the things we love receiving are emails from guys who signed up to do Exodus 90 through the Catholic Command Show and let us know how much freedom they've experienced once they go through the program. And it makes sense, right? Here's how it works. And these are the things that we talk about all the time on the Catholic Man Show, which is why we love promoting Exodus 90. They have three pillars. The, a pillar of prayer, a pillar of asceticism, and a, a pillar of fraternity. And through those three pillars, they help men grow closer to Christ, to their spouse, to their children, and to their friends. Closer to that man that God has called them to be. So go check out Exodus 90. They have Exodus 90 Lent as well. It's Exodus90.com slash TCMS for the Catholic Mantra. TCMS. Thank you to Exodus90 for being a sponsor of the Catholic Mantra. Welcome back to the Catholic Man Show. I'm David Niles. Here with Adam Minahan and the man known as Gormley. Gormley, Gomer, Gomer, Mike. All names my mother hates me being called. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Did I name you Gomer? Did I name you Gomer? Can you do me a favor? Can you do? Did I name you Gomer? I so, went a little too Brooklyn Jew on that one. Is, uh, my mom's from inner city Philadelphia, but <laughs> I did have a little. Is Gomer German? No, Gomer is Hebrew for the prostitute wife of the prophet Hosea. So I'm literally. I, it I, is. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's where it comes from. Like literally, my nickname. So my buddies all went to Bishop Kelly here in Tulsa. Yeah. Mm -hmm. My sophomore year, I started homeschooling myself as one does. And then Is this um, a true story? It's hundred percent true. I went to a ZZ Top concert in Oklahoma City. I came home, woke my mom up to let her know that I was home. And, and then I said man. And then I was very sure. <laughs> and then I, I so I woke her up and I said, Oh, and I want to be homeschooled. And she's like, What? First words out of her mouth. What about prom? The first, that was the that first, was that's, first that's most important thing. What about prom? And I was like, I don't know. So then uh, I, she agrees to let me homeschool myself. So I did all I the research. Homeschool. I'm not doing that. It's okay, mom. I'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> I did all the research, homeschooled myself, and then my buddies would call me, and they would wait. They use the payphone at Bishop Kelly's campus, and they would call me up during Encore, which is like the study hall period. And uh, it was right after Bible One, and they had just learned about the prophet Hosea. And so my buddy, who always called me Gormley, was like, hey, Gormley, what's up? Wait, 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 no, dude. Oh, 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 Gomer, you're Gomer, dude. Because in Hosea 1.3, God commands the prophet to marry a prostitute, and her name is Gomer. And they thought that was hilarious. He's like, do you know where that comes from? And I was like, Hosea, the prostitute? He was like, how do you know that? I was like, I homeschool myself. <laughs> like, this is all I do all day is just read something like this, right? And uh, yeah, so that's been my nickname. So when I went to Franciscan, uh, there was a million Michaels my freshman year, a million gotcha. Michaels. So I was like, hey, my name is Mike Gormley, but you can call me Gomer. And then everyone remembered Gomer. And I remember one time, it's actually to my great shame, a buddy of mine, John, brings it up all the time. But I was feeling sad that no one actually knew my real name. And I was like, everyone just knows me as Gomer. And he's like, yeah, but everyone knows you. And I was like, 
Yeah, but they just—they know the fake me. <laughs> <laughs> I've always been like that. I'm always a drama king. I'm a ten out of ten with drama. So, yeah, Gomer. I'm nicknamed after the whore wife of the prophet Hosea. One day, Scott Hahn was in class. Well, I was in Scott Hahn's class. He wasn't in mine. And uh, he's talking about the the Samaritan woman. Uh, yeah, the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter four. And he's going through it. And he's like, you know, you have had five husbands, and the one you're with now is not your husband. In the, the Samaritan, well, they have the five bales. Let's turn to Hosea. And he's going through Hosea, and he goes, so Gomer was a whore. And all the people in the classroom that knew me start to like snicker. He's like, Gomer. And he's like looking around like, okay. Gomer was a prostitute. Gomer is, and he's saying all this stuff about Gomer. And he's like, are you serious? You're really laughing at the, and then he looks at me and I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) and he goes, oh, (laughs) right. Uh, and then he flips his Bible like like a crazy person as a joke, and he goes, "You know what? Class dismissed. <laughs> I'm off my train of thought." And everyone's like, "That was awesome!" <laughs> and I was so sad because I wanted to learn more about the whore. So, anyway, this that was a fantastic uh, impression. By yeah, the way. thank you. I've been working on it for literally 25 years. Yeah, well, well done. Yeah, I know. I got problems. I have, I have posters all over my room. It's it's a little uncomfortable. My wife, uh, she was fine with them. <laughs> But it was the life-size body pillow that she asked. That really is it? That was the deal breaker. So that's in my office. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that is so messed. That up. is so very messed up. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But the running joke, like, so when I went to his class, right, we camped out because we all wanted to get into it. This is how old I am. We all wanted to sign up as freshmen. You're the last ones to sign up for classes, and so we camped out. No one ever camps out of Franciscan, but we did before our our spring semester because we wanted to get the class that gave you a laptop with wireless Ethernet. That was a new mm. technology. That's how old uh, Napster just died. But LimeWire and Morpheus were things, and I'm like, we have to get this laptop. And then I realized there was only one spot left in Han's Principles of Biblical Study 2, and I hadn't done one yet. So I go, and I sign up for that class. I get in the class. I'm the only freshman in the class, and he starts talking, and I'm like giddy because I know everything he's going to say because I've listened to this class. Because I homeschooled myself. (laughs) On audio cassette. I've already heard this. This is nothing new to me. So at one point... I lean over and I write on a guy's notebook, Big Ben being broken. He was like, what is that? And I was like, just watch. And then he's like, so let's say I'm a prophet. And he's talking about sun, moon, and stars, you know, being turned to darkness and all that stuff. And he goes, let's say I'm a prophet in uh, the United Kingdom. And the queen says, what are the prospects of Great Britain in the next century? And I take out a scale model of Big Ben and I just smash it with a mallet. Big Ben being broken is like the prophetic statement that your time is up. And the guy just sits there and he just looks over at me. And I was like, I'm the prophet. Right? <laughs> I was like, I've heard that 20 times. Yeah. <laughs> so there was nothing new in that class, which is awesome. Which is awesome. <laughs> Isn't that weird? Isn't that weird? That is That's weird. Fun. This is the dark That's side awesome. of Michael Gormley's <laughs> fandom. This is, all, this is all so you could get Wi-Fi. Well, Wi-Fi and, you know. And the cute girl that was in the, in the class. Uh, nope, nope, just, nope, just, just, just me and Dr. Han and Covenant Theology. <laughs> no, it was, it's so funny because I never had a relationship. With, like, I don't know what you guys were like in college, but there's a lot of people that had relationships with their professors. You like not know what I was like in college. Yeah, fair enough, fair mm-hmm. enough, fair enough. Uh, but like they had like, like their favorite, ma- like the major and the professors who were like outstanding. Like they would go and 
talk with them after class and right. blah, blah, blah. And what do you think I should be studying? And can you give me career help? Help. I, I never did any of that with any of my professors. I didn't have a friendship with any of them. I didn't talk to any of them. But if they recommended a book, I immediately walked to the library, got it, requested on interlibrary loan, whatever, and read through it cover to cover. So, like, that was the nerddom of Michael Gormley. Nice. As much of an extrovert as I am, I shut down when it comes to, like, my professors and stuff like that. Huh. It's a weirdness. So do you do that with, wow. with even pre, like priests as well? Uh, no, because I just don't have any respect for them. I'm just kidding. No, no, no. I'm not like that with anyone except professors. professors. Yeah. Isn't that weird? Hmm. A little bit. Yeah. It is weird. Like Father Mike Schmitz, I text him. We're fine. We're friends. You know, it's no big whoop. I mean, is it? Kind it's of. kind of big deal. He's kind of a big, kind of a big deal. deal. He's, He's kind, kind of a big deal. deal. It's better than I mean, that jawline. How face. are you not a big deal with that jawline? Exactly. I, I, I feel like I could only text him because if I was like staring at him face to face, it'd be so distracted. You just you just touch you just touch his jaw and you're like oh my gosh wow it's even harder than I imagined <laughs> yeah. I gosh. think I'm bleeding you put the cross and cross fit yeah. uh, okay so I have a a real question here's here's a okay. real question for you uh, uh for we're in the Eucharistic revival right now mm-hmm. and you work for a parish correct mm-hmm. you know, yep uh and we're about to enter into the parish year two the parish side of the Eucharistic revival right. right. Uh, I'm a little concerned that we don't have. Well, I'm, I don't know exactly where we're headed with the Eucharistic revival. Uh, Indianapolis. Any, well, I knew I know at the end <laughs> there. That, that's but the thing is, if you don't, um, I don't want to say. So I I wonder where how who's being implement like who's implementing <laughs> the the Eucharistic revival and like how how much is it going to yeah. be laying on the priest yeah. to implement versus how much. How much is it going to land on the laity? Mm-hmm. What, mm-hmm. like, how do you, where mm-hmm. do you see it's going to, is it going to be a success? So let me, let me just say this. Uh, I'm a big fan of, of promoting the yeah. Eucharist. Big yeah. fan. Yeah. Big fan. Big fan of the big old fan. JC. Yes. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, th- there is this, fr- this concept that I'm wrestling with, which is okay. called ecclesial bureaucracy. Right. And it's this notion that, like the synod on synodality, there's nothing good that's going to come of it because the synod on synodality, as, as hopeful as I tried to be in the mm-hmm. beginning, when I actually went through the local synod stuff, when we sent our parish um, pastoral council member, who was like, yeah, I'm all in. I'm, 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 I think it's a great idea. And she came back and she's like, this makes no sense. It's not scientific. There's going to be nothing gleaned from this. And the questions are all preloaded for specific answers. And you're like, oh, my goodness. So, And then right. I went through it myself. And, I went, and I'm like, ah. Oh. And, and I realized what it was. It is the actions of a bureaucracy, of a bureaucrat, justifying their salary. Right? And um, so my fear of the Eucharistic revival, uh, I mean, I love Bishop Cousins um, who, mm-hmm. who called it. And I love the fact that he called it a revival, not a renewal, not a reform, not a whatever. The revival is like, no, the, the thing doesn't need to be reformed. Right. The thing doesn't need to be renewed. You need to stop being dead in relationship to the Eucharist. Revive, right? But um, the problem is the Catholic Church's answer to everything in terms of the individual parishes is, well, let's do a program. Right. You know, we, well, we'll have a, a three-week this and a six-week that and an eight-week this. Um, and all of those are well and good because if you don't understand what the Eucharist is, real presence, transubstantiation, I uh, just read an article on uh, National Catholic Reporter today, and he's like, I reject, I don't reject a real presence. I reject transubstantiation. And it's like, except for the fact that it's a dogmatic definition accepted by the Council of Trent, so you can't do that without being a heretic. Who was it that was saying that? The father, uh, I don't know. This name. is a priest? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
But don't worry, it's a three-part series. Next week is going to be on the Eucharistic prayer. Who wants to put money down that it's on Eucharistic prayer number no, two? It's got to be, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, so uh, so um, the, the, the thing that Reese. I'm trying to do is, yeah. But, yeah, the thing that I'm trying to do is make the Eucharistic revival uh, tangible, right? So what we're doing is we're teaching people how to receive the Eucharist on the tongue in every grade, not because I am mandating everyone receive on the tongue, even though I definitely prefer that. Um, because we, we are being targeted by satanic cults in my area. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it's weird. Like in Houston, they stole a tabernacle and they found the tabernacle behind Burger King and it's a 30,000 or $80,000 tabernacle. And it was pried open and someone took what was in it. Not it, not the not golden the 30, box. Thirty, yeah, eighty thousand right. dollars. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and you have people run around. A lot of the abuses that come with the Eucharist come because it's landed in your hand, and you can pocket it, run with it, all that stuff. Right. Um, sure. So, what I'm trying to do is teach people, like, hey, if your pen exploded in your pocket and your hand is dirty, or you, you need to know how to receive on the tongue. So it's an embodied approach to, I reverence and I kneel and I do all that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Okay. Let's let's continue this combo on the other side of the break. Here's Michael Gormley. Go check out Ebenezer Bell, Catching Foxes. Know, what's your, what was your website? Layapologist.com? Is that oh, right? Oh, Lay Evangelist. Evangelist. Website seen by dozens. For over 35 years, Select International Tours has been planning pilgrimages all across the world, and they've been doing that for a reason. Yeah, if you guys have listened to our show, then you know that we just got back from Ireland. Uh, we used Select International Tours to book our pilgrimage to Ireland. Everything went just great. It went exactly how we planned it. Right. right? In fact, one of the pilgrims uh, said that it was his the best pilgrimage he's ever been on. Right. I mean, so the thing is, they know what they're doing. If, if you want to go on a nice pilgrimage uh, that's really, you know, oriented around experiencing the Catholic faith, um, in some of the most historic, most important sites all over the world for the history of our faith, go to selectinternationaltours.com. They have pilgrimages going everywhere in the world all the time just because you know they, they do it so well, everybody wants to use them. That's right. And if you go to selectinternationaltours.com slash catholicmanshow, you'll be one of the first ones to know when we're planning our next pilgrimage, which spring or summer 2024. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Yeah. So go to selectinternationaltours.com slash catholicmanshow. We want to thank Select International Tours for being a sponsor of our show, The Catholic Man Show. Welcome back to the Catholic Man Show. Here with Michael Gormley, talk, talking about the Eucharistic revival and who knows what else we're going to be talking all about. All the things. All, all the things. All the things. Yeah. So I, I agree with your your approach here on like trying to make things tangible for to make the Eucharistic revival a success. One of the things that our our priest did uh, at our parish was start implementing at the end of Mass five minutes of Eucharistic adoration for the whole parish. Hmm. So what you know, there's uh. It, the Eucharist comes out, the adoration in the monstrance, there's a benediction, and then everybody is dismissed. Gotcha. So like it gives five minutes for, for people who don't know, never been to adoration, don't know what it is, mm. and or even don't even know what silence is, like in yeah. silent prayer, to just sit for five minutes. Nice. In his in his presence. And I thought that was a uh, that was a really good yeah. like thing to do as a you know, as a parish mm -hmm. uh, to to start implementing adoration. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. One of the things that um, we're trying to figure out, because my parish is slowly 
adopting traditional expressions of the Catholic faith that ought not to have never left. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's just crazy. But um, we recently reinstituted communion patents. And mm-hmm. I, I remember one day uh, we had a visiting priest, uh, Father David Huss, who's now our parochial vicar. But he was visiting. Uh, all of our priests got COVID, so he came in at the last minute to fill in. And someone had dropped a um, someone had dropped a host on the floor, and he stops everything, and he immediately not only does he consume the host, but he purifies the area and all this stuff, and then he shifts the communion line to not accidentally step on a single crumb, right? And a woman came up to me with tears in her eyes, and she said, "I've never believed in the real presence more than in watching how that priest purified and and you know how he believed every crumb was Christ." And the argument goes essentially that if every crumb is Christ, every visible crumb is is Christ, then why are we why why did it make sense to get rid of the patents when we go to a widespread communion in the hand? Right. Seems to me like we need patents even ten times more by the the indult to allow and communion. Bigger, in the hand. bigger patents. Yeah, but we, <laughs> I mean, giant, yeah. giant pizza dish size pudding cup patents. Yeah. So we implemented the patents. One guy's like, "I'll buy them all right now." I will buy every single one of them right now. And we're like, okay. And he's like, click. And he bought them all. And uh, they're beautiful. And they complicate things when things are just, you know, uh, you know, the priests previously were using the ciborium as kind of a, um, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, a communion plate. But, you know, in the, the general instruction of the Roman Missal tells you that this, this should not be abrogated, right? But we do it. It's, it's so funny to me. It's like whatever is easier. And this is the thing about the, the, the Eucharistic revival that I really want people to understand. Uh, in the church, in order to see, we think that building bridges, uh, we use that as an excuse for everything. And I believe in building bridges, right? Mm-hmm. Not just the title of a book, but I really believe in building bridges for people, especially if you need to get across a river. Yes, or or you know, if you try to ford it, as you know, I you're much gonna prefer die. a bridge. You're gonna die. Yeah, yeah. If Oregon Trail has taught us anything. You That's need right. a bridge. Go That's to the bridge. Right. Um, but seriously, like the idea of it is. Uh, we we make all these compromises and we say, well, we're trying to meet people where they're at, you know, blah, blah, blah. We're trying to build a bridge. But the funny thing is we don't. We actually move the church to the middle of the bridge. Like we're not actually taking people anywhere. Right. We're we're going to where they're at and then we're just saying, hey, this is great. And they're not moving. And they're not moving. We're not asking them to move. No. You know, yeah. Yeah, and so there's no there's no actual spiritual growth. So when you start implementing these things and then you get these crazy reactions to it where people mm-hmm. say, if you make me sing another song like that or another hymn instead of a you know praise and worship song or whatever, I'm leaving the Catholic Church. And it's like, uh, what? Well, that's a big. So you've been singing these crappy. They'll know we are Christians by our love for literally fifty years, and you're cool. But the one time we sing a traditional <laughs> hymn that's like a hundred years old, written by a, a Methodist named uh, Wesleyan, like like you. That's the line, you know, so um, it is fascinating to me, like this cultivation thing. So for me, the idea is what we've done in the church is we've we've drywalled our spirituality. We've made the church feel like the family room. Uh, we've made the divinity feel close. But the funny thing about doing that is then it just turns into us. Mm-hmm. It's actually the the uh, the transcendence of God. And the experience, this is what, when people say like, the Latin mass is more reverent. Now, I don't go to a Latin mass church at all. So I'm not like that, camp, I'm not a rad trad, all that stuff. Um, but the, th- the funny thing is with people, and you can stop me because I've been talking a lot. No. But the idea is 
the churches there look like churches, right? They didn't look like living rooms. They didn't look like whatever, uh, museums or, or amphitheaters. And the reason was it was meant to draw you into something that wasn't normal. Like this doesn't look like a, any other thing that you're going to see. It doesn't look like a museum. It doesn't look like, you know, even though there's a lot of marble, whatever. And the idea behind it was it's meant to reveal the transcendence of God. Now, show me a modern church that makes it look transcendent. There's nothing transcendent. It's imminent. And God is imminent. God is within us, right? Mm -hmm. But the theology after Vatican II that went so hardcore to the imminence that it disregarded the transcendence, actually in, in drawing God near, it made him too familiar. Who cares? See, that, that's the thing I would tell people who do youth ministry. I'm like, don't ape the world in your youth ministry. Because hmm. you'll, you'll never have the budget of MTV. So quit trying to pretend to be like the cool church version of MTV. Come like, by it. Yeah. Yeah, like, Quick right. cuts and yeah. music. And if, if it takes a circus to, to win them, it'll take a circus to keep them. Right. And I think what we're seeing with COVID was the circus was shut down. And the real motives of people all along were displayed. And it's like, this is why evangelization matters and the lay apostolate matters. Because we lay people are the ones who should be building bridges from where people are at to the church. Right? So people only like rock and roll and pop music and they don't know how to identify with the hymns and, and organ or chant or Latin. Okay, fine. That's great. Uh, you don't need to know. Like, I'm not into classical music. It doesn't mean classical music has no place in culture. Classical music actually drives culture. Right. So when we become a culture that rejects these higher forms only for the immediately tangible, the imminent, uh, well, you become a culture that's addicted to pop music. You become a church that's addicted to um, non-transcendent music. And so you get you get the church you pay for, right? So uh, no wonder when hardships come, people abandon. Because hmm. it's easy, mm -hmm. right? It's accessible all the time. The church is in the bridge. But man. Yes, like I got opinions, man. I'm also very excited about this Eucharistic revival, right? Obviously, because I love the Eucharist, mm -hmm. um, and I just I've heard that about you. They, oh, good, yeah, good. Uh, Word on the street is, yeah. The, I actually give pay quite a bit of money to Facebook to promote those kind of ads. Oh, about, beautiful! Just yeah. about about me. you, yeah. He loves the Eucharist, <laughs> <laughs> but it just makes me think, like, well, why don't we bring back a commu the communion rail? Why don't like if if we want to promote reverence for the Eucharist, yeah. Why don't we bring back the things, kind of like you were saying, rece reception on the tongue being one of them. Like There used to be all these incredibly reverent things mm -hmm. about reception of the Eucharist, that moment, yeah. that pinnacle moment yep. of where man and Christ are like ha have this, you know, yeah. coming together. Right, well, why don't we... It just seems so obvious And it makes it makes the, the parents' a lot, a job a lot easier with, with the children, like cate catechizing the children, because they see, oh, this is something different. Mm -hmm. This is something... Uh, like, look, the priest is taking things seriously. Mom and dad are taking things seriously. Like, everybody around yeah. is doing something different. Yeah. And let me ask you this, because maybe maybe this is just me being a little jaded. Mm. Uh, Ooh, I like this. Very possible. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I just am very tired of, um, like, oh, trying to incorporate everyone and, you know, like, trying to uh, making sure everyone feels comfortable or welcome. I, it's like, you know what, guys? This is what we're doing. And if, if you're going to leave the church because you don't like the music, the truth is, in my mind, you left the church a long time ago. Yeah. Right? Uh, I mean, and I just, maybe I'm wrong because, like, maybe I am just getting jaded and just exhausted with, mm -hmm. w with all of it. I don't know. What do you think? I think that we have, one, we've rejected a theology of transcendence, a reality of transcendence. We've rejected it. As a, cult, as, as a complete culture, 
Catholicism in the West said, you know what? We're going to build churches that don't have sacred architecture. We're going to have music that's religious but not sacred, that is liturgical. We're going to do all these things, and we're going to do it because we want the lay people to participate, to have full conscious and active participation in the Mass. But people had different understandings of what that meant. And for many people, it it became, regardless of what the Council Fathers wanted, it became my participation by doing a job at Mass. Right. And this is the this is the grave evil post Vatican II. Vatican II clarified the role of the laity and our apostolate. We walked outside, realized, oh my goodness, these people don't believe in God. And then we did a U turn. We went back into the safe, comfortable church, and we said, "Can I be a sacristan? Can I be a Eucharistic minister? Can I be a lector? Can I be a visitation minister?" Now, all of those things are fine and good and needed for people to fill those roles, but. It's often at the cost of going out and evangelizing actual real people. We're, we're forsaking our apostolate to become pseudo priests. And, you know, Pope Francis, that was a really big thing in his Apparecida document that then, you know, kind of a new modified form became uh, Evangelii Gaudium, was like the laity. There's an amazing line where it's like, uh, we've clericalized the laity and the lady, the laity have asked to be clericalized. Like it's this notion that it's like, no, make me a pseudo priest. I feel more right, comfortable. There. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, and we talk about like, what do we do to bring back reverence? Well, right now there's a war over what that even means, right? Like why mm -hmm. do our altars no longer look like altars? It's because they were pulled out to be in the midst of the people so the congregation can see the Eucharistic action, the act of consecration, during the Mass. Okay, that, that's the rationale. That's it. It was promulgated in 1964. It was required. You know, Concilium made it mandatory. Um, well, <laughs> the crazy thing that kind of happens with this is it no longer becomes a mystery. It's no longer something that is... Um, an action of God to God, it becomes this thing that's the community. And the moment the community feels gypped or jaded, we've educated their desires, not their reasons, their desires to react. And that's what we get. Make me comfortable. Make me included. Make me this. And this is what we're reaping. Uh, when we get back, I want to, to ask you some fatherhood questions. You're okay. in the further in, along in the fatherhood game than we are. Mm. And so I'd like to, like to learn... I can be a grasshopper. I can be a grasshopper. Old man Gormley. <laughs> the hosts of the Catholic Man Show have produced a practical, helpful, and spiritual uplifting book that helps parents make the connection between church and the domestic church. Living Beyond Sunday, Making Your Home a Holy Place reminds every Catholic family of their daily duties, responsibilities, and privileges to help each other become saints. That endorsement is from Father Leo Padalingha. Go check out our new book from Ascension Press. You can go to ascensionpress.com or just Google Living Beyond Sunday, Making Your Home a Holy Place. Pick one up for you, for your family, for your friends. And if you enjoyed it, make sure to leave a review so that way others can be made aware of the book as well. We want to thank Father Leo Padalinghug for his endorsement of our book, Living Beyond Sunday, Making Your Home a Holy Place. Welcome back to the Catholic Man Show. I'm David Niles. We're talking about... Jesus. <laughs> Good guy. Like him a lot. Like him a lot. Big fan. Big fan. The old JC. Adam, you wanted to ask about uh Well father like, like some father questions. Yeah, so you're uh mm. 
my oldest is nine. I have nine, eight, five, three, and then like a week old. Oh, the baby. Yeah. Oh, the baby. Yeah. Boy, boy, girl, boy, boy. Okay. So, uh, it's exhausting. Yeah. So, uh, I don't really, and he has, uh, what, four girls and a boy. So it's inverse. That's exhausting in a different way. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Nice. <laughs> I have two it's, girls, two boys, right? Okay. Girl, oldest girl. So it's 12, 11, uh, nine, and seven. Okay. Is yeah. it girl, girl, boy, boy? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I'm curious on like how you are doing with the girl girls as information and like mm. what are you doing right now catechesis wise and what are some of the questions that they're asking and how are you answering them so my two girls are very different kateri my oldest so we homeschool and we do the faith and life series at home mm-hmm. um we do so many saint stories there's the lion and the lamb book club um, Did you do glory stories at the beginning? Like did early? glory stories. So the funniest thing about glory stories is they had a, a CD. Glory stories. Yeah. They have a. <laughs> My wife is a speech language pathologist. Yeah. And she cannot stand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Get that kid some speech therapy now. <laughs> like she has been on the verge. I talked her off the ledge of writing those people a letter. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. No, tell her to do it. Tell her to do it. That's awesome. No, uh, the, they had the story of St. Kateri and the story of St. Cecilia as one CD. Yeah. And that's my two daughters' names. Um, so they are very different. Kateri is mostly like me in terms of her extroversion. She wants to be the center of attention. She craves uh, people's emotion, you know, just... Yeah, she has no inner self, and it is all on display. So she's a theater geek. Okay. She's a theater geek. All right. And they are, they're all homeschooled, and they are so innocent, it is shocking. So very innocent. Well done. Yes. Yeah. Yes, thank you. That is all I cared about, because I right. saw hardcore triple X pornography when I was six. Older brothers, older friends, dad hid it from his wife by putting it in his son's closet. Son finds it, shows my brother. My bro- And then my mom forced me to go over to their house one day. They showed me. I still remember it. I have, When I went oh, to counseling man. one time, the guy's like, he, he stopped everything. He goes, you talk about this stuff the way my veterans in Vietnam talk about war. And I was like, oh, that's messed up. Mm. That's my, He's like, no, you have PTSD about it. And I was like, okay. He's like, and I don't blame mm. you for that. You're six. You have no idea what was going on. But anyway, so. There is this element where that colored a large part of my life, and I never wanted that for my kids. But uh, it's almost impossible to keep the worst that society has from your kids. I'm not talking about making them like a cloistered nun, but like this stuff seeps in all the time everywhere. Mm -hmm. Like uh, I have YouTube um, history blocked and uh, recommendations blocked on my app. I love YouTube. Did I, did I mention that yet? I love YouTube. I pay for YouTube premium. It's the best thing ever. And it, I, I love watching fail videos of people getting hurt because I got problems. Yeah, and why is it that that is so funny? Oh, Are it's you the kidding best. me? Like, it's the best. To watch other people suffer? I don't uh, know. It's not suffer. Well, okay, yeah, suffer. My wife like dies laughing when someone slips on ice. It can be off a staircase. It can be on the driveway. She will just The longer the fall, the, the harder the laugh. Yes. <laughs> But uh, the moment you recommend, a, you see a fail video, if you don't have that all the recommendation stuff turned on, if uh-huh. you do have it all turned on, excuse me, uh, the next day it's like all the fail videos right. from every fail channel yes. and every other one is cleavage of butt, like everywhere. And so like I keep seeing it. I'm like, I don't want my kids to see this crap. So uh, one day my daughter, so one of the things that we do is we give them a lot of saint stories. Tan Publisher published, they, they sold like these like 15 saint books 
for like a nickel. I can't remember. It was a cheap sale. We bought them all. They, there's comic books now. We buy them, all this stuff. Mike Kateri loves Saint stories. Hmm. My Cecilia will read anything. Cecilia's a voracious reader, but she's the thinker. She's the, let me rephrase it. She's the philosopher, right? So one day we're sitting at the table. She's seven or eight years old. She goes, Daddy, can I ask you a question? I was like, yeah, sure. She said, um, if, uh, if Santa Claus isn't real, um, how do I know that Jesus is real? I was like, that's a really good question, honey. So yeah, we can talk about it. And she goes, well, I'm not done. And <laughs> if, if Jesus loves me and I have, you know, this depression and anxiety stuff that I didn't, I didn't cause myself and I feel like it hurts me. How can Jesus love? Why didn't he heal me? He healed the lepers and stuff. And I'm like, Oh crap. Mm. And then she's like, yeah. And I have another question. I'm like, Oh no. Right. <laughs> and she just went deep and I'm sitting there and I'm listening to this stuff. And I'm like, I am going to have so much fun with this, with, with both of these girls in totally different ways as they get older. Because with one, it's the, the saint stories, the, 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 the upfront public persona, like all this mm. stuff. Nerd now, now me and my daughter Kateri are nerding out over Shakespeare because she's in much ado about nothing. And I mm. bought her all the works of Shakespeare as her own. But one day she's like, Dad, where's your complete works of Shakespeare? And I'm like, <laughs> I love you so much. I haven't even read them. I just own the book, right? right. So, <laughs> right, right, I own them. <laughs> I use that line all the time. But uh, yeah, so I was at Costco and they make them just as into, and I was like, yes, yes, yes. So now that's been a thing, right? My daughter is Beatrice and uh, she loves it. And she's, we're talking about this stuff all the time. So I've, you know, I use that as a stepping. So, so here's the thing. Here's that advice. Don't make everything religious because that's the tendency of weirdo Catholics. We make everything too sure. religious mm -hmm, mm -hmm. all the time, right? So then they don't even know how to function in the right. world, they don't know how to have a conversations, so that's weird. Um, my two boys, but it's are, pretty cool whenever they go up there and they'd be like, "There's like, hello, what's your name?" She's, they're like, "I'm Luke. I like to talk about obediential potency with you." Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, <laughs> I would like to talk to you about the eleven passions according to the treatise on the passions of Saint Thomas. Like, yes, yes. Um, <laughs> but it's it's so it's so incredible to see that like saint stories matter because they need to hear the narratives of you know saint paul said be imitators of me as i am of christ said that four times yeah and hearing the saint stories are very important for their education you know one of the greatest lines i ever heard was if we aren't giving our kids a stock of fairy tales we're not actually equipping them to deal with evil in the world mm -hmm. and it's very i think the never a truer statement has been uttered and i get you know george mcdonald's fairy tales which were deeply effective of c.s lewis um and, and gk chesterton and i couldn't figure out why like the story isn't like all that great and then mm -hmm. i realized it's because unlike other fairy tales from like hans christian anderson and the brothers Grimm, these he the 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 author george mcdonald have you ever read him like <laughs> any of the princess and the goblin or anything oh yeah i've read that yeah he talks to you while you're doing while you read like he's talking to the reader mm -hmm. you know and he interacts with the reader as like oh and this is a silly goblin thing you know and it's i can imagine you just read like here's a bunch of stories and then all of a sudden <laughs> it's the uh the goblin you know or whatever like the author breaks into the narrative and starts talking to the reader and that was the not it was like one of the first times that's ever happened in in artistic you know stuff for children's literature and so that's what he does c.s lewis says. so what i basically do i don't make everything catholic kid you know but at the same time i look for habits of behavior that are catholic in their life that i want to establish so, you know, we pray the scriptural rosary. Why? Because I want them memorizing scripture. 
while I have them as a captive audience, we're going to read through this stuff and you're going to, you're going to memorize this stuff. And the funny thing is when you memorize the, when you look at the life of Jesus through the eyes of Mary, which is what the rosary is supposed to be, right? It enables them to understand the gospel better, which puts mass in perspective, the readings, it puts, you know, all this stuff in perspective. So that, that you know, uh, reading the luminous mysteries, I said, from my son Thomas who's going through first communion prep, I was like, that's a sack prep course in itself, right? You got baptism, you got the institution of the Eucharist, proclamation of the kingdom. Like you have all this stuff. It's awesome, right? So um, and then my, my son Noah, my son Noah is an athlete. I am not. I don't know if you're you not a sports that. ball guy. You know, I mean, growing up, I've always played sports. You always, think, always, always. You don't think you could have been a NASCAR driver? Uh, no, no, I'm I'm terrible. <laughs> I did go karts at my buddy's bachelor party, and I came in dead last. I thought I was doing great. I don't I don't know what happened there. I think I got. I think it was a computer error. But uh, <laughs> like bowling, I'm like wow, it's that a compu- low. It's a computer error. Yeah. It's a computer error. Oh man, they didn't get my strikes all yeah. those times. Didn't calculate it correctly. Um. But with my with my son Noah, right? Like, the key is the key. The moments he'll remember is playing football with dad, right? Right? Like it's it it's not rocket science. Like Chesterton was right. Anything worth doing is worth doing poorly. Like I don't know how to be all things to my son. I I'm 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 a horrible failure at so much crap. Like I am paralyzed. Like there are times where I'm driving uh, like to an event, like coming out here. And I'm just so upset at my missed opportunities with my kids. And it's like, well, I really screwed that conversation up. Or I, or I was too upset, you know, in discipline. I went too far. You know, whatever it is. And, I, you know, as, as dads especially, we can beat ourselves up so much with how we should have, could have, would have, you know. But at the end of the day, it's like, it's not rocket science. Just your love will shine through. And, yeah, they'll have to go to therapy for it. It's fine. <laughs> It's fine, but uh, yeah. I, I mean, their health insurance will probably cover it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. If if there is a, a you know a standing continent when they are adults, because <laughs> yeah. who knows? Who knows? That's right. I was just listening to a Trent Horn podcast. And he was talking about if this if this uh, volcano erupts in Tanzania, it'll wipe out the eastern seaboard of the United States. So I'm really looking forward to that. That's something to pray for. <laughs> <laughs> Good thing to be in the middle of the country. <laughs> oh man, uh, yeah. So I think I think that's uh, I think that's really good advice because I have the habit of trying to implement everything that we do in the family, and then say, okay, how can I incorporate the faith into it all the time? Yeah. Right. You know. It's, yeah. And it's that's that is a. Um, definite thing that i have to work on because I, it's very <laughs> it's like here's the only, here's the moment i get to to catechize and go <laughs> you know um totes uh okay so if you're listening on the radio go check us out the catholicmanshow.com we'll continue this conversation for just a little bit longer uh Gormley, thanks mm-hmm. so much for hanging out thanks for inviting me yeah we're on the lord's team the winning side so raise your glass and cheers to jesus cheers always The cool thing is, is this is actually still on one radio station, and it's a country western station in Texas. Nice. KSCY, baby. KSCY. Boom. On Sunday mornings. Catholic Man Show. <laughs> country so, music. Country music. That's right. Country yeah. road. That's what like my daughter's favorite country song. Is it? Yeah. Nice. Wise. John, John oh. Denver. Yeah. I don't know if I could pick a favorite. Too hard.
Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, let me. Add, so what? What's in your? You have the podcast you're going to be doing soon uh, by yourself, soloing, which is <sighs> that is yeah. that's that is going to be a little. Yeah, season on discipleship. That's the the sole focus. What does it mean? The gospels, the, the disciples in the gospels, and Acts of the Apostles. Doing a deep dive there, and then how did we do it in our daily life? Yeah. Okay, so if you're discipling somebody, mm-hmm. um, and you're not moving them towards Christ, that's not really discipleship. It, like, like being ecumenical should mm. be probably like the the goal of ecumen like being ecumenical is to move them to the truth. Yeah. Namely, the Catholic Church. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Uh, do you think that we have um, we have watered down the or have lost the end goal of uh, ecumenical events? Yeah. So. So I took ecumenism like, in in grad this is school. Just a loaded question. Here, loaded question. Go. Yeah. No, but I, I was I I have just had this conversation with two people today. Oh no, kidding. Yeah, earlier today, and uh, when I was doing my corrections ministry. Um, so there's a retreat with these um, mostly deacons, but a lot of lay people too who um, help do. I'm sorry. All- I, at first, <laughs> yeah. I was laughing. It's like. If I thought maybe you were talking about disciplining your children and calling in your corrections <laughs> As a dad, I have a corrections ministry. Uh, <laughs> and then I realized, like, oh, he's talking about people in prison. Yeah. People in prison. Yeah, the ministers yeah. to people in prison. Yes. So it was a retreat, and I was talking with someone about it, and um, because I didn't know this until after I had started, but I was doing a presentation of this new video series that I'm doing called Inclusion. It's based on my class that I teach called Inclusion to bring Protestants into the Catholic Church. And uh, a big part of it is we go through. Um, I want the the all the classes are based off of differences between Catholicism and Protestantism, what I call the temple differences. You know, um, and the way the reason why I do it is not to disrespect any Protestant's belief, but to show this is what the Catholic Church believes from the Catholic Church's own mouth, kind mm-hmm. of thing, and uh, do it in uh, in respect. If you have to put forth an argument, you're not straw manning the other side. Right. You're explaining, you know, this is what John Calvin taught. This is what you know Martin Luther taught. This is what the Anglican Church represents. You're not trying to sell it short because if you sell it short and one of your students knows you're selling it short, you just lost them, right? And you, it's propaganda. It's it's not an argument. So plus, you don't need to sell it short at all, right? And this is one of the things I actually learned from the life of Saint Anthony in Padua, which is, you know, he's known as the hammer of heretics, right, and the finder of lost keys. And uh, where is that <laughs> he's hammer gonna, of he's heretic? He's gonna hate that. Up there yeah. in heaven. He's like, I did all these things, yeah, and you guys are asking for. I was one of the greatest preachers of all time. I memorized the entire Bible, but okay, fine, Janice, yeah. it's over there behind the cushion. <laughs> oh, there's my keys, Saint Anthony. Saint Anthony, come down from your cloud. <laughs> hammer a heretic who's just been found um no but so we have a collection of his sermons right there's like 220 of them or something like that and like 208 are have where he preached to this heretical group in north italy um are on the glory of the catholic church huh. they're not on they're not polemics against their faith now ab- about 10 of them or 12 of them or 15 of them, i can't remember how many um are right but the overwhelming majority is like you know and it's that line that um uh, I can't remember a Baptist preacher said about the Bible. He's like, you're defending the Bible like a person is defending a lion in a cage. Just open the cage and the lion can defend itself. And I think about that with scripture all the or with the Catholic Church's teaching all the time. So having the going back to the ecumenical ecumenical thing, um, what is ecumenism's original? Uh, the original movement was we can never agree on doctrine. Let's agree on on good works. So it's called life and work. So the National Federation of Churches has a life and work thing. 
Well, as people began working, they began discussing and they began talking. And then they realized that these huge divisions were not as huge as they originally thought. So then there became a faith and uh, belief or faith and truth branch. And they thought that this would never happen. And it started to happen in these Protestant churches. The goal of ecumenism is what you call sharing of altars. That your doctrine on the Eucharist and on other things are so close that there's practically no real division. Let's share altars. So, for instance, the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America, which is a liberal church, um, and the uh, Presbyterian Church of America, which is a liberal church, now share altars. So, if you're a Lutheran ELCA or you're Presbyterian of America, you can bound, you know, neither of those denominations are going to be around in 20 years. But, uh, I mean, it's just a statistical fact that the right. last Presbyterian is walking among us. Um, okay, so that being said, uh, here's the thing that I've discovered in actual ecumenical practice. What ecumenical practice means is we're going to get together. We're going to pray together. Awesome. Uh, we all acknowledge, even though we have our differences, we all acknowledge Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior of us all. Okay, great. And then we're going to pretend like we don't have any differences. No one, like, this is the thing that drives me insane. That is the most disrespectful thing you can do to someone, to treat the other as not other, but as the samesies, right? right? Like, come on, like, our differences is what makes us different. That's why they're called differences. Right. It actually is important, these differences. And then the, the dangerous thing is we go along to get along, right? That's what people, that's the that, that initial, like, eh, I don't know if I feel comfortable about this, right? And um, so my big thing with ecumenism is, the goal of ecumenism is for us to speak clearly the truths of our, our different denominations and, and all that stuff. Uh, the goal of ecumenism should not be, um, you know, you can do justice and, and works of mercy and all that stuff together. I think that's absolutely important. But the, there's a fear in the ecumenical movement, which is you're watering down the faith so much so that you can have a one world religion kind of thing. And as Catholics, we need to reject that. And but see, that's that's the background assumption. Right. Is we're just we're gonna we're gonna lessen the differences or ignore them so that we can all pretend like we're all actually the same. And we're not. And how disrespectful is that? Right. Sure. Right. Like oh oh you silly you know Reformed Baptist you know, all that John Calvin pre double predestination that doesn't matter. It's like no, it really matters to them. Yeah, to them. I mean, people died for this. You yes. Know, like so I'll never forget the first time I actually did a real ecumenism event. My pastor couldn't go, so he asked me if I wanted to, and I was like, "Yes." It was at the local community <laughs> I've college. Been waiting for this my whole life, <laughs> I've been waiting for this moment of ecumenism. So uh, it was at the local <laughs> it was at the local community college, and it was put on by Interfaith of the Woodlands, and which is an ecumenical kind of like faith and work or life and work stuff. And uh, so we're there, and there are four people representing a broad swath of Christianity. I was re representing Catholicism. Then we had the liberal Presbyterian former pastor representing that church. And then we had another church. I can't remember what it was. And then this woman came late. She was the pastor of Unity Circle of Light, which is like a post-Unitarian, <laughs> post-whatever. And uh, but basically Unitarian. They don't they don't call themselves Unitarian, but basically they're and so non divinity of Jesus. You know, he's just a moral teacher. So they give you ten minutes to share your faith tradition, and then you share your faith. So I start off. Jesus Christ is not just a teacher. Jesus Christ is not just a moral exemplar. Roman Catholic Church believes that Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God, the God that revealed himself to Israel in the Old Testament, sent his son in the fullness of time, born of a woman, born under the law, to enter into the human story. He perfectly fulfills Israel's vocation in his humanity, 
and he fully reveals God in his divinity to us. You know, and I do this whole spiel, started the Catholic Church, started it on the rock St. Peter, bishops, priests, deacons, unbroken line of continuity, blah, 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 blah. So I kind of lay around all those things. Seven sacraments, you know, the whole deal. And the woman from Circle Light Church comes in at the end. And she's, she didn't hear the beginning of my talk. And I was like, just let me remind you that Jesus Christ is not just a teacher. So then she goes and she's like, so we think like Jesus Christ is just a teacher. He's not like he's got or anything. And and all these people are like, oh. Like, <laughs> at the end of it, I'll never forget this. This guy sitting in the back. He's a, I'm, I'm a Brooklyn Jew. I'm a Brooklyn Jew and I'm an agnostic. And I, last time I was in a temple, it was uh, my bar mitzvah. <laughs> he points at the pastor and he goes, tell me, I, I can't tell the difference between you guys. Why is there so much division? I, wh what do you believe that he doesn't? And he pointed at me. He's like, well, okay, great question. Great question. I just think like our Lord, he taught, taught us about love and we need to, we need to love. And like the word means nothing anymore. Right. Yeah. So he, he finishes this thing and the guy goes, ah, stop talking. You the guy with the beard. What's the difference between you and him? And I go, great question. He's a Presbyterian. They broke away from the church through John Knox. John Knox is a Calvinist. John Calvin was one of the original, uh, what do you call the magisterial reformers. You had John Knox and and Martin Luther. So basically, his church rejects the papacy. We have the papacy as you know the visible head of the institutional church. You go blah blah blah. And I walked through a handful of things. I was like, you know, they have a high view. Uh, of the Eucharist and of the sacraments in the Protestant world, but not as high as we do as Roman Catholics, and and the Orthodox would agree with us, and and maybe a lot of Anglicans would also agree with that statement. So, boom, 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 and I listen, and then he looks at me, and then he looks with his eyes wide open at the pastor, and he goes, "Now was that so hard? That makes sense." <laughs> like, and that's that's ecumenism. Right? right, that's what I see all the time. Every time there's like, "Hey, we're gonna pretend like there's no differences because love, 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 love," and it's like, "Yeah, okay, well, that works to a point." There, there and are. It's not actually true love. That's not actually real love. <laughs> right. If you, if you just pretend we're all the same, you're not actually loving them. Right, and there are places where emphasizing our common, uh, the common ground is appropriate. Absolutely. So when I go into prisons, and I do prison ministry, we do this thing where um, I do a once a month. You know, once a month, we do a twice a year rally where all the inmates are invited. We do praise and worship music. I give a talk on the gospel, praise and worship music, a talk on the gospel, wrap up with prayer. And it's honestly a break. I go to a maximum security men's unit, right? So it's a huge break for them. The But I'm there to show them that Catholics believe in the gospel, right? I'm there to show them that Catholics believe in faith. They don't even think Catholics believe in Jesus. Like So this is an ecumenical work for me. To establish credibility that at least we're Christians in their eyes. But the fascinating thing that happens is whenever I show up on a random Monday doing our, our our chapel time with the Catholics, the Protestants are in there too. And they'll come up to me, the, the we call the field chaplains, the in, inmates who help the chaplain. And they'll come up and be like, hey, can you um, can you help me with something that I'm, I'm struggling with, the King James Version? or can you do And now we have this great working relationship. That's ecumenism. Right, I, I'm, I'm not the, like yes. I want all of those people to become Catholic tomorrow, and give me a couple of weeks. <laughs> but at the same time, the goal is like I don't have to hate you, right? See, that's the thing. Like if you think about, we used to kill each other over Jesus, right? right? And the only way it was resolved was this thing called secularism, where it's like whatever your prince is, that's what you are. Your prince is a Lutheran, you're a Lutheran. He's a Calvinist, you're a Calvinist. He's a Catholic, you're a Catholic. Done. And the, the secularism, not the love of Jesus Christ, is what ended the horrible religious wars. So I think about this all the time when it's like there, there's a place for ecumenism. But the problem is people forget that the Catholic Church cannot deny her essential identity. 
where the Church of Christ started. So I, I can not talk about the papacy for a, a week or two. Sure. So right. you feel more comfortable. But let's talk about the papacy because you reject it, and I think it's a good idea. Right. Yeah, Sometimes. If, if you didn't reject it, then we wouldn't need to talk about it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you t- like, and, I, and honestly, I have benefited so much from reading John Calvin and Martin Luther. Like, they're not idiots. Mm-hmm. Right. These Protestant pastors at these mega churches, the reason why their churches are mega is because their pastors evangelize. They're, they're, they're savvy to the modern cultural milieu today, and they know how to speak to it. It's not like they're all just like we have this stupid image of Protestants like, oh, they're a bunch of dummies who never discovered Thomas Aquinas. And all they're ever going to do is just hear the same sermon over and over again about whatever. And like no, most Protestant sermons, when you like especially the big names that kind of bubble up to the top. I've never heard a Catholic priest even remotely come near to a 45-minute sermon that's a coherent, overwhelmingly Jesus-focused lesson on how to change your life and live for the Lord. When was the last time you heard a sermon that was like that at Mass, right? Like, where you felt like that, the priest actually believed what he was saying. Now, I'm not saying I don't get that. I get that fairly often now, but... I mean, there were years of my life where I'm just like, I don't even remember. Like, I don't even think the priest remembers the sermon. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he's given it four times today. Yeah. You know, and see, that's the deep, that's the deep ache. Like when, when Catholics leave the church to become Protestant, they all say the same thing. You never gave me Jesus. They don't sit there and be like, well, I want a circus. I want a go-kart show in the middle of my mass. Uh, they, they don't say that. They say I wasn't being fed. That's Jeff Gavin's point. They, this is, this is what they say. I'm not being fed. And it's like, if we're not giving them the person of Jesus Christ, when they receive the Eucharist of Jesus Christ, they don't even know what they're eating, mm-hmm. you know? And so that's what that's what I want to do. And it's kind of funny, but it's what Scott Hahn's thing, to make Catholics Bible Christians and to make Bible Christians Catholics. <laughs> Full circle. <laughs> Scott. <laughs> okay, so let me ask you this. This might seem like an unrelated question, but I don't think it is. Okay. Uh, if you could only read one book mm-hmm. for the rest of your life, aside from the Bible, you get mm. to have the Bible mm. and one other book. Mm. What is it going to be? Man, that's a good one. Could it be like one of those things where it's like the completed works in one book? Huh? <laughs> yes. Okay. 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 I'm picking up what you're putting down. All right. It's going to have to be, oh gosh, I hate Desert Island, you know. Games. Probably either the complete works of Plato, the complete works of Chesterton. Because here's the deal. If you got one, you, you ain't going to be happy with the Summa. You, you're going to go nuts with it. You're like, hey, I'm going to learn the Summa. Yes, you are. You're going to be bored every day of your life. And you'll be like, you know what I want to do? I just want to kick off my shoes and snuggle up with the Summa Theologica Prima part. No, no one does that. <laughs> right? But you can do that with Plato. You can be like, you know what? I'm feeling I'm feeling spicy tonight. going to get me some symposium. <laughs> I'm gonna get a glass of wine. I'm gonna treat myself. I'm gonna get a bubble bath going, a little bath bomb action. And you can read some symposium, right? You can learn while you're yeah. being entertained. This Plato guy's crazy. <laughs> yeah. He just sat there the whole time. <laughs> and then uh Chesterton, because he's hilarious. And and he's insightful. Okay. And he's frustrating to read paradoxical literature is always frustrating. But you go through it and I just think he would be he he I never leave a chapter of one of his books without like, wow, that was profound and hilarious. So I, I could see those two. One of those. When two. I read Chester and it's like, man, how come I didn't think of that? Yeah. Like that's so simple and brilliant. Yeah. And I wish I did think of it. Uh so we read we read the five dialogues. What 
last year or yeah, last year. six mm. months ago. It was the first time that we that I had read them at least. Mm. Uh, so what the Symposium, Apology, Euthyphro, Crito, Phaedo, those mm. are the five that we, we read. Nice. And now we're reading Homer like a, like a, we'd mentioned in the car. Like a boss. Like a boss. And in in preparation for the Republic. <laughs> because we you know we gotta read Homer yes. before you can read the, the yeah. Republic. So nice. we're going through that right now. Uh, but what is what's your favorite Plato uh, work? Uh, the, it was the Republic. It was it's Republic. hands down the Republic. I translated in Greek in in school uh, the first couple chapters of the Credo, or the first part of the Credo, and uh, yeah, I hated it. Um, not the Credo, uh, just translating. I'm terrible at Greek. When people say it's all Greek to me, even though I spent hours and hours studying it every day for months at a time, it's still all Greek to me, uh, which means I'm vaguely familiar with his grammar and syntax. Um, but the, uh, yeah, the Republic is incredible because especially when you get to book two of the Republic where so much is centered on God and trying to understand one of the most insightful things, this is where the Lord of the Rings, the invisibility ring comes from. Did you know that? Yeah. Have you read the Republic before? Uh, no, no, I've audio booked it, but I have but not read. Yeah, the, the audio book is great on Audible. The yeah. version that they have right. is incredible. They do a great job with it. But so the whole idea of that you you wear the ring, you get invisible, you could commit any act you want, blah blah blah. You would never get found out. And then you take the just man. How do you know that he's just? Mm-hmm. Well, everyone has to think he's unjust in order to actually think the just man is. Uh, will he still live a just life? And it's like in the end, it's like you got to beat him and scourge him and blind him and pin them, you know, kill them. Like, you're just like, you feel like you're reading the life of Christ. You know, when you go from that, uh, to, um, wisdom chapter two, where the, the, it's almost like the mind of the, the chief priests and scribes where it's like, let us oppress the, the righteous man for he is an offense to us. And they go through all this stuff. I realized someone, a woman asked me on this mother's retreat that my wife was leading. I gave a talk and she said, if Mary was really immaculately conceived, like, don't you think her neighbors would have known it? Like, come on. And I was like, I, I, that's a great question. I've heard that before. And the answer is not a freaking clue. No, they none of them would have known that. And they're like, why? Like, oh, here's this perfect little girl. And I go, no, you're thinking of a suck up goody two shoes is probably every goody two shoes thing is 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 sinful. Right. Coming from a place of pride and arrogance or living for the opinions of others. I was like, for Mary to be holy, to be truly holy and we're not. I was like, every motive we would read into her. Oh, yeah, she thinks she's so wonderful. Well, the other day, and you, we could, we would do that to people all the time. We would be so clueless because we can. Conce- and this is a problem of Christian culture. We conceive of holiness as niceness, and oh, they're just so sweet. Well, Jesus wasn't right when you study um, Thomas Aquinas's passions. Right, like Jesus showed the passions. It's the definitive argument against the Stoics of the passions just being disturbances of the will. Is Jesus Christ the perfect man? exercise the passions he was enraged right he was enraged there's only one time in the bible where he was joyous did you know that only one time in the gospels where it mentions his joy of actually being joyful right i'm not gonna tell you what it was um frank sheet says that's one of the tests to see if you study the gospels and i failed it because i didn't know what it was uh and uh i'll give it give me a few minutes okay yeah he's not talking about like do this and my joy will be complete right he's talking about like and jesus rejoice or lazarus no, that'd be that's what easy. my that's what my daughter uh, Kateri said. Oh, Dad, yeah, I know that's Lazarus. I was like, Jesus wept, sorrow, but not Jesus like high fived. You know, that's hmm. not in there. Um, but the in in Plato's Republic, having an ADHD moment there. Uh, in Plato's Republic, I love how much they nail down um, this understanding that 
an actual just man in an unjust society will be viewed as the most unjust. And I see that because I, I've seen priests who are holy, like who are who are destroying their their health and mental energy to do the right thing well because they get so much attack for it, so much crap for it. But it's incredible because people, the first thing they say about these people is like, oh, they're just putting on a show. I'm like, no, actually, this guy like literally weeps over this stuff. Like I've seen it. He didn't even know I've seen it. I've seen it when no one else is looking. I know exactly what's going on. You know nothing. And yet you have no problem defaming people. So uh, I loved that about the Republic, like that whole intro part in the book too, all, hmm. all on all on the uh, the role of God and justice and stuff. It's it's incredible. And I want to be a philosopher king. Anyhow, is it when the uh, the military guy comes to him and asks Jesus to heal his? Like he says, no, don't uh, enter under my roof. No, he's astonished. Okay, for he has not mm. found such faith in all of Israel. No, okay, so the, the plot twist is it's when he sends the 70, 72 disciples out and when they come back saying, Lord, even the demons were subject in your name and it says that he was rejoicing and then he said, uh, rejoice not that the demons are subject but rather that your name is written in the book of heaven. But it says that Jesus himself was, he received them with joy. I wouldn't have got it. I never, no. I never, yeah. I no. I Frank Sheed, to know Christ Jesus, he'll get you. Boom. 10 times out of 10. We've uh bar- we uh, we've burned a lot more time than what we bargained for, but I appreciate you being here with us and Thanks. hanging out with us. It's like what eleven? It's eleven o'clock, and Woo. you have an early morning flight. I almost feel like a man, almost just being in this room, <laughs> <laughs> just this room itself. Black walls, black skulls walls. of animals, a Spartan helmet. How real yeah. is that? One out of ten. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Knight's armor. What yeah. else we got? We got how to gird up your loins. Yeah. St. Joseph in picture form, just so that all those boxes <laughs> yeah. to read, yeah. all those boxes to read, yeah. all those boxes of cigar, completely empty. Ah, uh, because you've smoked them? No, no. <laughs> because we bought that thing and then we were, were so excited to put it in here, and then we saw that like, we got that a ridiculous deal on Facebook Marketplace. <laughs> nice. And then it, we saw it's like, oh yeah, this is gonna be look awesome in the in the studio, and we saw it in the background. It's just crushingly empty. And it's like, it looks terrible. Nice. It is. Yeah. It, it does look nice with all those fancy boxes. So, mm. well, uh, so are you? You're gonna be coming back to Tulsa at some point. I mean, it seems like you, you make a, a trip. Uh, that's only been recently. It really? really has been. Yeah, yeah. I did a, an event for the arch or the diocese, and then I came back. I don't want to give you guys an upgrade. Uh, for the diocese, and then I came back, and it was. It's funny because even though I was doing a diocesan event, at the same parish I was at. Really? Here, yeah, I was at uh, Christ King. Christ so King. it was awesome. Well, we'd love to have you back out sometime. Uh, come hang out. Don't you work for the diocese? I do. Yeah. Uh, maybe you can bring me out. Yeah. Just like, to do I, I've episode. tried. I've actually tried. Like, remember uh, right before COVID? Right before COVID, I was texting. That's how I had your f- phone number. I bet you probably, when I texted you. A I do while the 30 day thing. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It kills old It kills messages. old messages. Mm. Yeah. I, I bet you a lawsuit. I bet you were like, that is, <laughs> you were probably like, who is this? But I texted you because, and the reason why I had your number is because uh, we were trying to get you out like two years ago before mm. COVID. Mm. And then uh, that whole COVID thing happened. That was weird. weird. Yeah, no, I do remember that. And then I was traveling up through here to go to St. Louis and we were going to uh-huh. meet up. Right, and grab a beer or, yeah. or you know, coffee I mean, or something. It just didn't happen or something. Yeah, something happened. Yeah. yeah, my daughter was sick. Mm. That's what it was. Yeah. 
but, blowing chunks uh, all over any, the hotel room. Anytime nice. you're uh, yeah. you're up here, we'd love to have you out and nice. eat and whatever else. Eat meat. You eat know meat. what I had today? I had the hangover burger. Oh. It was a sausage patty. I asked for an extra beef patty. Two beef patties, bacon, and a fried egg, and that's it. Yeah, that was it. Okay, yeah. It was awesome. Sounds Where is good. that from? At the the place right across from oh, Price society? society. Society. Yes. Burger. Society. Society burger, yes. Yeah, that lady did not look happy. I think she was a vegan. She shouldn't work there. <laughs> she shouldn't. She shouldn't work at a burger place. True story. My freshman year of college, I worked at Steak and Shake. Yeah. The guy who was flipping the burgers, he was, uh, you know, from Nepal, and they're, um, they, they, they don't Hindu? believe in killing no. Hindu. Yes. Mm. You know, they don't believe in killing cows. Mm. He's the. Uh, he was yeah, the chef. He was the burger the, cook. The burger cook. That's a. I've always thought that's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. People live in the contradiction, live in the dream, chasing that dollar. <laughs> and I'd ask him, like, "What do you think about that?" He's like, "I don't. I don't. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> Pretend like these are pigs." <laughs> that's uh, hilarious. Uh, all right. Hey, thanks so much. I appreciate it, man. Thank you for having me. Cheers.